Let's see what the stew has in store for us today. Welcome to the Gnome Cast, the Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. We usually get together with some gnomes to talk about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew. However, today we have a special guest that I'll be interviewing about his ongoing Kickstarter campaign and a few other topics. I'm the only one at risk for being thrown into the stew pot, so this better be a good interview. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the amazing Amato Rosa, the jolly Jen Adcock, and the charming Chris Franklin. Today, we have myself, JT, along with Robert Schwab, and we'll be doing an interview about his time as a gamer, a game designer, and lots about his current Kickstarter campaign for Shadow of the Weird Wizard. So, welcome, Rob, to the podcast, and uh, thank you very much for, for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. you're welcome. So, before we get into the question, I'm going to rewind your memories a little bit back to 2019 to a small gaming con called Cobalt Con in Colorado Springs. You would run a game of Shadow of the Demon Lord for a small group, and that was my first experience with your game style and with the game Shadow of the Demon Lord, and fell in love with it. It was a complete hoot. Immediately ran out and bought all the PDFs, uh, physical book that's sitting behind me, all that good stuff. So during that same con, you were not really playtesting, but like introducing people to Punk Apocalyptica, which was your upcoming Kickstarter back then. Uh, and I got into that session as well and back to that Kickstarter that's sitting on the shelf behind me as well alongside Shadow of the Demon Lord. So, yeah. Unfortunately, Punk Apocalyptica has yet to filter the t- to the top of the 2B play pile. And I'm hoping to get it to the table someday, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, you know how it is. I think too many games, not enough time. So, typical introductory question. For folks that don't know who you are and what you do, can you give us a brief intro into who Rob Schwab is? Sure. Uh, I have been working in tabletop role-playing games uh, since 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. Uh, In that time, I was a freelancer. I was a staff developer, a freelancer again, well, a contract designer, then a freelancer again, and then now a company owner and publisher of my own things. I got my start in the early days, the D20 boom. Went a job with Green Reading Publishing as their D20 line developer. Following that, I took over Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay from Chris Premis. Then I worked on A Song of Ice and Fire Roleplaying, which is based on George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones series. Then Wizards of the Coast poached me, and I worked as a contract designer for them from, I think, 2008 until 2014. Before that, I had been working as a freelancer for Wizards of the Coast, and you can find my name in a lot of books at the tail end of third edition. I worked on fourth edition supplements, for the life of that line. And then I migrated into the fifth edition design team where for a little while I was one of the lead designers with Monty Cook and Bruce Cordell. And then as the team shook up, I was still part of the team all the way to the very bitter end. 2014, I left and then I started my own imprint in 2015, released Shadow of the Demon Lord, as you mentioned, Punk Apocalyptic, uh, over 200 pro- titles for Shadow of the Demon Lord. And uh, now we're in the early days of the Shadow of the Weird Wizard Kickstarter. And that's, uh, that's pretty much my life in a snapshot. 20 years. So I'm assuming you didn't just crawl out of bed one day, put on some pants and decide to de- design a game, uh, you know, some 20 years ago. So like most folks that get into a hobby or profession, you've got an origin story. So what is your gamer origin story? What got you into tabletop role-playing games? Well, it kind of goes all the way back to when I was in sixth grade 
uh, at Lipscomb Elementary School in Brentwood, Tennessee. And there, uh, I had been a uh, wannabe D&D player for a very long time, but had no one to play with and didn't know, have any access to the rules. I picked up a module from my uh, neighbor. He sold me Rahaja by Tracy and Laura Hickman for a quarter, and <laughs> I dissected the module and turned it into and was able to extrapolate a game system from that. I uh, ran that for about 10 to 15 people on the playground for a couple of times. And then my friend uh, Landon took pity on me and said, hey, let's actually play D&D for real. So that's how I kind of got into gaming. How I got into a game designer was uh, a little more complicated. The chops were always there. I was always interested in tinkering with role-playing games and playing games. But I had quit school and was selling and flipping hamburgers at a management capacity for a number of years. And then uh, I went back to school after I got married and had big ambitions of becoming a fiction writer and thought I would change the world through my words, my artful craft, my art and craft. Turns out that uh, I ended up leaving, finishing college and selling carpeting. And there was an <laughs> open call for writers for supplements content for for the d20 system so i jumped on it and that kind of ballooned into something big i mean it was a dodgy first year but when i landed the gig at uh, green ronin uh, everything kind of changed for me what's your favorite part of designing games i mean you've already mentioned that you got a, a module or an adventure and you dissected it so you were like designing pretty early on in your role-playing hobby career what's your favorite part of dissecting the gameplay and doing a design based on that dissection? For me, there always has been the the nuts and bolts. I like to to immerse myself in the, the matrix of the math and see how all those pieces move around and interact with each other. It is telling that I can lose myself into building game systems, and I do that regularly, like for fun. When I'm sitting at a bar and drinking beer and have no one to talk to, I'm on my phone and building a, a new game system or something <laughs> along those lines. That, for me, is is probably the best part. And I'm looking at mostly the underlying system math. That was true with the very first game I designed, and it was also true in the science fiction game I designed in seventh grade, and then the other game I designed in eighth grade, and it continued. I'm also very much a purist when it comes to running other people's RPGs. I want to run it the way they intended it, and I don't tinker with rules that somebody else has designed if we we're going to play first edition D&D, by God, we're going to have weapons versus armor class and ammunition. And, and, rules, and we're going to fight about grappling and uh, pummeling <laughs> rules until we're all blue in the face. When I can work on something from scratch, yeah, I like to, I like to dig in to the nuts and bolts of things. So I actually think you're probably selling yourself a little short because the mechanics and the nuts and bolts and the dice and all that are, are one aspect of gaming. And obviously, the, uh, another aspect, I'm not going to say the other, but another aspect of gaming is the playing of a role, the storytelling, that the crafting of a, a tale, a collaborative crafting of a tale. Just based on the materials that you've put out that I've read, you do an exceptional job of setting the stage for the actors, or in this case, the gaming group, to step onto your stage and get immersed and, and live in the settings that you've created. How do you mesh those two? Because if you just do mechanics, you could be creating, I don't know, Yahtzee or Checkers or something like that, right? There's a lot more to role-playing than just the nuts and bolts. So how do you 
intertwine those two aspects of gaming. So I do also enjoy a great deal uh, of the world building and uh, adventure design and creation of fantastical environments and situations from which people have to figure out how to extricate themselves. I do enjoy that. And there are moments when that is more fun for me than it's not, <laughs> as, as I'm sure anybody can imagine who has to be creative for a living or even for fun. It's an interesting balance because I have to think about things in a different way. Uh, most of what I do creatively that are non-math based comes from just thinking about my own play experiences in the past and then translating that into a manner that would make it engaging for people around me. I'm a, I mean, I'm a voracious reader. I watch a lot of TV or rather shows and I kind of absorb, I'm like a big sponge and I absorb a lot of ideas. I look for things that make me excited and I pay attention very closely to things that irritate me or seem to have fall <laughs> short. So I don't recreate that same problem in the things that I make. Yeah. Learn from people's success and failures. That's a great way to approach things. So let's shift gears to some more recent times. You released Shadow of the Demon Lord in 2015 to high praise and uh, a lot of uh, buzz around that game. Now we have Shadow of the Weird Wizard coming along some eight or so years later that's based on the Demon Lord rule set, but with noticeable differences in theme and tone. Before we dig into those differences and kind of changes and shifts that you've made between Demon Lord and Weird Wizard, what's your elevator pitch for Weird Wizard for those that aren't familiar with that game, with, with your Kickstarter? I'd like uh, you to imagine a world, a land, a, a countryside steeped in magic and history and a conflict and a fairly well-developed part of the world that has suddenly gone awry. The king, high king of the great kingdom has been murdered by the paladins. No one knows why. Uh, strange soul sickness has become has begun gripping the hearts of, of ordinary folks and turning them into bloodthirsty orcs. We have mutants coming from outside. So the old country is falling apart. The people who uh, don't want to die or uh, don't want to face this, this tide of horror and, and doom flee to the borderlands. The borderlands is a sizable area that is sandwiched between the old country and the, the salt wastes, which is kind of a natural border, and then the new lands, which were controlled up until recently by the weird wizard himself. The weird wizard has gone missing, uh, which has enabled all these refugees to come into the borderlands and kind of restart their lives without the interference from some dark and sinister wizard. And so what you are doing in this game is you're playing a hero to these refugees, trying to protect them from the creations of the weird wizard, uh, strange mechanical monsters and hybrids and other things, as well as fairies who resent mortal intrusions into their territories, making deals with the people who live there so that you can work together in peace to establish trade routes to the major city-states that kind of border the Sea of Fear to the south. So there's a lot of stuff going on, and this place is riddled with, with adventure hooks and cool places to explore and terrifying monsters to fight, all with a really slick system that gives you broad and deep customization, but tight, focused campaigns that you can play and actually complete. That sounds like a fun environment to, to just explore and, and run around and experience and interact with. That's awesome. 
So my next question is, some games are clearly not for beginning gamers. And I'm talking a beginning gamer that has no mentor. Like they just pick up the book and the book is their guide to learning the game. While others are specifically crafted for that introductory beginning player. Where does Weird Wizard fall into this spectrum of of not for beginners or definitely for beginners? Where Kind of where does it land in there? If uh, beginners was zero and uh, not for beginners was 10, sure. I would probably put you at, put Weird Wizard at around a two. Uh, oh, great. The reason why I don't go all the way to zero is because I'm just cynical enough to understand <laughs> that most people who come to role-playing games are going to go through the portal of Dungeons & Dragons. There's almost no way. In fact, I can't conceive of a universe in which, well, there probably is a <laughs> universe in which somebody gets into role-playing games and playing GURPS first, but it's unlikely. And so the market I'm chasing with Weird Wizard and the design aesthetic is for people who want a little bit more control over how their characters develop, but don't have the time, will, or desire to unpack a super complex rule set that's got a lot of moving parts. So let me try to unpack that just a little bit. So the idea here is that I want the casual player, a person who is just playing once a week or once every two weeks and doesn't think about it at all, to have the same kind of great experience that somebody who plays once once a week or once every other week, but is super invested and writes up backstories and is trying to learn the lore and reads a rule book and makes characters on the side on the side and draws pictures of his character and paints miniatures and does all that stuff. I want those two people to have the same play experience regardless of their level of involvement. So I'm assuming that you know what a role-playing game is with this product. And I'm also assuming that you know what a character is and what a game master calls the sage and a weird wizard. We know that you know all these kind of things and that there is a kind of a back and forth exchange between the player and the game master or this age where you tell the players what you're going to do and then the game master says what happens and, and so on. So I'm not doing a lot of hand-holding in this, but the game's complexity is very low at the earliest levels of gameplay and then it gradually ramps up and becomes quite complex towards the highest level of gameplay. And because you're going to get something new every time you play the game, some new widget that you can play with, a new spell you can cast, or some number of new spells you can cast. All those kind of pieces help you act as training wheels as your character's developing. So that means that when you hit level five and you get the ability to cast, or level three rather, you have the ability to cast Fireball, that's a big moment for you and you learn how that spell works. And then when you hit level four, you're going to get another spell of an equal value or equal power and right. you're going to learn how that spell works and you still already mastered Fireball. So the idea is that all these things are kind of dished out to you and in, in, not spoon-fed, but rather given to you in bite-sized pieces so that you can kind of absorb that and then move on. If you want a super complicated game, jump in at level 10 and you have all the moving parts. You have fairly complicated characters, but you're going to have a lot of fun because there's always something cool you can do. The game is built is it to ensure that people have something fun to do all the time. That sounds great. Yeah. You know, like you said, there's the casual gamer that, the game doesn't exist until they show up at game time. And then there's folks like you and me and probably most of our listeners where they're immersed in it and thinking about it daily, if not hourly. So comparing Demon Lord to Weird Wizard, Demon Lord was full of deep, dark horror, some adult themes, probably quite a bit of adult themes, 
Weird Wizard has taken a step back away from that tone a little bit from what I've read. Why did you do that shift in Weird Wizard? Did you see a gap in the market or did you hear a loud demand for Weird Wizard being the way it is? A little bit of both, uh, to be honest. On the one hand, there I, I look back at Demon Lord's release and Demon Lord's got a spell called Hateful Defecation, which makes a target crap itself to death. Which is great, right? It's funny, and you it's know, funny, I'm, yeah. I'm German enough to appreciate it. So whatever. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of other, th- and the art's kind of it's dodgy in some places, and there are a lot of world concepts that you know, for example, that the thing that happens to be God in Demon Lord is actually the Demon Lord itself, and it's been ripped apart, mm-hmm. and its essence is what's been used to fashion realities by the demiurge. And anyway, it, there's a whole lot of stuff that people can find. Yikes. And what I found was that within like a year of launching the game, people were bouncing off of it because of its darker content. Because really, Demon Lord, it was more about a my catharsis and less about trying to appeal <laughs> to a wide audience. But I think I also heard from a lot of people that folks really liked the system, which was why not long after Demon Lord came out, I started blocking in ideas for what a sanitized version of demon lord would look like does this mean that i run weird wizard in a sanitized way for my own games no it's it's just as dark and nasty and disgusting as ever (laughs) but uh the game itself is designed to appeal to as broad of an audience as possible and the other end of that too is that i don't know that there is so much of a i think there is a demand for this particular game uh because there's dnd and there's pathfinder and they both have their, their their adherence. But I think there's also a lot of folks out there who are looking to do something other than D&D. They still want fantasy. They just don't want big Hasbro, if that's a thing. As sure. you've seen, Hasbro continues to step on itself every chance <laughs> it gets. And I, want to give it a, I wanted to give a really good alternative to uh, what's out there. Now, I adore Pathfinder 2nd Edition. I think it's a great game. The people who worked on it are good friends of mine. Uh, and I'm not also chasing after their customers either because Pathfinder has its own level of complexity and Weird Wizard is not that. So speaking of complexity, talking about nuts and bolts here, you know, uh, call back to previous statement. What major rule shifts have you made between Demon Lord and Weird Wizard? I'm sure you've got some minor tweaks here and there to kind of smooth some edges and, and rough spots. Were there any major changes that, that people who are familiar with Demon Lord getting into Weird Wizard that they should be aware of? Yes, there are a few absences that'll be noticeable. Demon Lord had a fairly elaborate corruption system, uh, which was kind of a control mechanism to encourage people not to go completely wild with their darkness and evil. There's also uh, there's no insanity in this game. There's also uh, ancestries provide no boosts or adjustments to attributes. There are a few spells don't have a power score or spell ranks they use. Uh, they're just tier-based. So there are novice spells, expert spells, and master spells. Uh, the initiative system is a refinement of what's in Punk Apocalyptic and in Demon Lord in that instead of having four or rather five discrete phases, fast turn players, fast turn bad guys, slow turns players, slow turn bad guys, end of the round, we just have... Bad guys go, players go, end of the round, and players can then spend a resource to take the initiative 
and jump ahead of the bad guys. And what okay. that does simplifies that process quite a bit. It does, yeah. So those are the big ones. There's also Demon Lord did lean into the idea of starting characters where you're playing Joe Schmoes and it's uh, you know, I'm a grave digger and I'm a <laughs> I'm a peasant and I'm the bartender, and you find yourself in a terrible situation, you have to work your way out of it. That is really useful for a horror fantasy game where the character mechanics really don't matter so much because it's mostly about survival and right. what your decisions you make as a player rather than what's on your character sheet. Because Weird Wizard is a game that assumes the characters are heroes and they're going to be doing good things and they're competent and capable, we just start at level one and go to level 10, and that's the campaign. So it's a more a shift from tuning down horror on the spectrum, so I'm not eliminating it, obviously, and then turning the dial up on heroism. Right. Characters for an uh, expert and master paths get huge boosts to health. Spell power goes up in major jumps from when you hit the expert tier and the master tier to kind of show that your character is kind of, you know, look at it like if you're a novice character, you are like the badass of a village. And if you are an expert character, you're a badass of a country. And nice. if you are a master character, you just are the dominant figure on the continent. That's how it's structured. You know, you want to call a meteor from space and bring it down on a bad guy, <laughs> you can do that in this game. If you want to uh, remake the your environment out to a couple, you know, 10 miles in every direction, so it looks like, it smells like, and tastes like, and feels like some other place, you can do that in the master tier. There's a lot of really cool stuff that you can kind of, that make you feel really powerful at that level of gameplay. If you're not already tired from running the Kickstarter, I'm going to make you even more tired. So here we go. The Weird Wizard book sits at about 350 pages. The Secrets book, which is the Game Master Guide, is about another 325 pages. Now you throw in some stretch goals, and from my estimation, you've got about 1,000 pages or so of extra content unlocked already, maybe a little more. If things keep going well, it might be a total of 2,000 extra pages for Shadow of the Weird Wizard. That's a lot of pages. It's now, I know lot. some of it's artwork. You know, and some of it, and you've mentioned online that you do the art direction for your artwork. So that's even right. more words you're writing. I'm assuming there's going to be some maps and diagrams and maybe some other things like that. That again, I'm assuming that you are giving descriptions for all that. However, that's a lot of words. Is this all on your shoulders or do you have a team, a staff, some outside freelancers, folks helping you out? Give us a right. peek behind the curtain. Sure. The core book, the two core books are already written. That's 675 pages thereabouts. Right. You don't have to really worry about too much, and that's going to go to editing, and everything will be fine there. The other stuff is, you know, the way I looked at it was that this is stuff I was going to make for the game anyway. Oh, there you go. And so I was going to do it, and if people are excited, they can sign up and get it now. Those stretch goals don't come out in August 2024. They come out when they get done. Uh, sure. Not quite so severe. I think it's probably going to take, I think people are going to be, who back the campaign will continue to get content for me until for about, for about probably four or five years. Wow. And then okay. That's pretty good. Right. And you think about yeah, how many that's awesome. products and SKUs and how much stuff that the average, that the gamer is going to get for a cool hundred bucks. And I don't think you can get that kind of value anywhere else in the business. No. And, you know, and you know, I'm good for it because I've done it before. Demon Lord promised 16 page, setting expansion so they ended up all being 32 to 48 pages long or longer 
plus you got all the adventures and uh, and everything else. This is the same way, but a little bit more structured. I have a clear idea of what these supplements are going to be. So if I do have to lean on freelancers, I've I've been in the business long enough that I know enough people that sometimes I imagine there'll be some pleasant surprises when you get a a quest for Weird Wizard and you might see one by somebody somebody else you really like might step in and help me out. So I'm glad to hear you might have a little help here and there because I don't know, I'm tired on your behalf just thinking about you know producing 2000 pages of material so yeah we just don't think it, we just think we try not to think about the word camp yeah, there you go there you go yeah it's almost like you're leveling up in weird wizard it's it, it's a bite at a time like a little bit here right. a little bit there cuz you're not committed to writing 2000 pages in 6 months you're committed to doing this one slice get that done next slice so on and so forth over like you said the next you know 4 years or so once I get the artwork taken care of for the two book, two main books, which I'm almost done with the Shadow of the Weird Wizard art order, which is going to be ridiculous. It's going to cost like it's probably going to cost me seventy thousand dollars to illustrate both these Oof. books, but it's worth it. So once that's all done, I will start working on the quests. They may even start landing before the core rule books do. All the okay. people who back will be able to get access to the playtest files, which will go live about a week after credit cards processed through Kickstarter. And then from that point on, everybody who's backed will have access to the full game. And so they can start playing right away. And then I'll nice. be pumping adventures ready to go. So those will probably be out as we're building up towards the actual book release. Is there an introductory adventure in the secrets book? Uh, there is not because we put an introductory adventure in the quick play book. Oh, there you go. Okay. That works. Yep. Cool. So the introductory adventure, I'm assuming it's designed to teach you about a little bit about the world, about the system, like hits your your main mechanics and some of the side mechanics, and it teaches the game as well as being enjoyable to play. Is that was that the purpose of it? Yeah. Uh, again, I, I think that the because the expectation was that uh, that the audience has at least a little experience with role playing games. I didn't spend so much time saying. You know, here's some read aloud text and 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 th- those kind of things. Instead, what I focused on was mostly just telling a really good story and cool. give lots of different ways that the characters can kind of reach the resolution of that quest. And it's been run several times, and it's it's a lot of fun. I believe it's called One Bad Apple. My playtester slapped my wrist because it went way <laughs> too dark, but uh, so I pumped the brakes and is now properly PG thirteen or or younger. My inclination is to always go way 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 too far oh, so i feel I, you man that's where yeah. i go with my fiction when i'm writing my novels or short stories yeah i tried to write a short story once about a beautiful wedding scene and the bride's favorite uncle murdered the groom in the middle of the ceremony and i was like well so much for that beautiful wedding scene right <laughs> yeah yeah the uh anyway is there anything else that we haven't covered here that you want our listeners to know about well, I think the only thing I would say is that we had an incredible first day, probably the best first day I could have imagined. Uh, it was way, 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 way over what I was asking for. And <laughs> awesome. I'm thrilled at the enthusiasm for the game and for the vision uh, and for what's coming out for it. Right now, as of today, I think we're sitting at 275. Yep. So I'm hoping that we'll be somewhere around. There's still more stretch goals. If we If we crack the 400 number, before it's over, there's a really good chance that I'm going to open this game up through a license 
and let everybody play with the rules. But that's got to be a certain level for it to be make <laughs> economic sense for me. And for our listeners' benefit, the today that uh, Rob mentioned is August 15th. This episode won't reach your ears, dear listeners, until August 30th, assuming you listen to it the day it drops. And if you do listen to this episode the day it drops, you have six, maybe seven days to run off and back the Kickstarter. Uh, links to all good things Rob Schwab will be in our show notes, including links to his company, the Kickstarter itself, obviously, his weird wizard page on his Schwab Entertainment website. And we're also going to throw a link into his drive through RPG store so that you can check out his previously published stuff. Maybe you can get a preview document or you know find a cheap PDF and get a taste of what Rob does before you run off and back to Kickstarter. All that info will be in our show notes. Awesome. Anything else you want to add, Rob, before we uh, uh, part ways? I just want to say thanks again. This was a lot of fun. It's good to see oh, you You're again. very welcome. Yeah, it was great to see you as well. Hopefully we can cross paths uh, outside the virtual space. All right. So this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website. This ad brought to you by Game Designers Unite. Are you a game designer? Need a guild or just someone to bounce ideas off of? Tried to find a playtest group? Then unite with some fellow game designers. Side note, man, I really wish Game Designers Guild was actually a real thing. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Pandas Talking Games. Queer gamers talking about tabletop role-playing games and making outtakes. Join Pandas, Phil, and Cinda every Wednesday answering listener questions about playing, running, and designing tabletop role-playing games. Get cozy, and let's talk about some games. You can find all of us uh, at gnomestew.com and on gnomestew on Facebook. Was there anything you wanted to give a shout-out to, Rob, before we close out the store? So some other project or some other person's work? Purely optional. Yeah. Keep an eye out, uh, you kids. Keep an eye out for Stephen Ryan McFarlane's The Glimmering. It's evolved from its original form, and I think it's going to be a really great interpretation of the new 5th edition rules in a new way, a new way to oh, play. Interesting. So check that out. Great. Uh, and I think I've given out uh, plenty of recommendations throughout this uh, interview, so I, I don't have anything specific. And normally, Ange is the one in charge of throwing people in the stew pot, but she's not here today. So this means I get to ask Rob, do you think this interview was good enough to keep me out of the stew pot? I would say for sure. You awesome. are no stew pot today. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much, Rob. You're welcome. Thank you.